Hi, and welcome to the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra podcast. I'm Felipe Tristan, assistant conductor, and the clip of music you just heard was The Firebird by Igor Stravinsky. In this episode, we will be speaking with Cynthia Racine, principal cello of the BSO and featured soloist in our coming concert on June 4th. Later, we will be speaking with Dana Villarreal, first violin in the BSO and the producer of this very podcast. We are here with Cynthia Racine in the studio. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you. Happy to be here. So we are super lucky to have you not only today in the studio, but also this concert cycle. You are going to be playing a concert that's a favorite of many, the Shostakovich Cello Concerto. But before we get there, let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? Um, well, I'm of mixed heritage. My mother is from Kentucky, USA, and my father is from Haiti. Um, they actually met teaching music. Um, and so both my parents are musicians. My mother's a violist, and my father's a flutist and also a composer. So music was part of our family. Extended family also played. Everyone had their day job and also played an instrument. So I grew up thinking this is how you do it. So <laughs> um, so at age four, I asked for a violin. My mother obliged. And then I started into their footsteps. You had a first teacher in your parents or? My mother was my first instructor. Uh-huh. Yeah. Until when? Until I decided to switch to the cello. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Well, funny enough, we had a cellist, her name was Kara Proctor, now retired from the Boston Symphony Orchestra, who gave a recital. And she played The Swan from Carnival of the Animals, Saint-Saëns. I heard it. I was seven years old. What city was this in? This was in Haiti. In Haiti. My parents uh -huh. were teaching there. And I heard the cello, and that was it. So I went, told my parents that I would never play violin again that I was going to play the cello. That was the first time I actually spoke back to my parents in that way. I remember wow. the circumstances. I remember Such was the impression. From the cello. From the cello. Mm -hmm. And wow. then that was it. So finally they gave in with the ultimatum that if I didn't progress to an acceptable level within six months that I would have to then go back to the violin. That was the deal. What was an acceptable level? Certain piece or certain... Like if I didn't take it seriously. Uh-huh. Kind of. I mean, your parents being musicians, of mm -hmm. course, I assume they had a very specific expectation. Yes, they did. And so when did you start studying music more seriously? At a conservatory or in a college, university? Oh, yeah. So I ended up going to University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I studied with uh, Professor Benjamin Karp, who's an amazing cellist, mm -hmm. has a beautiful sound. And that turned out to be a great match because um, the one thing that I was missing was that sound that I was looking for at age seven. That sound was in my head. Like, I couldn't get that sound. I didn't know how to get that sound. But under Professor Karp, I was actually able to finally figure out how I get this sound. It was really, I'm forever indebted to him because that was the sound I was I had in my head since I was a little kid. That's, how would you describe this sound? What's so special about it? What's so special about the sound... How do you describe it? It's um, 
it's not it's a range of sounds does that makes sense so it's the ability to express you know a deep sorrow or happiness or how do you get a depth of sound or a superficial sound like like Debussy was one of the composers I struggled with the most in terms of your bow and sound production that's one of the hardest things to do you have to have a wide palette of colors mm-hmm. yeah after University of Kentucky, what came? Well, I switched gears uh-huh. after all that. Um, I ended up going to medical school. Wow. Um, because, again, in my family, a lot of people were doctors and musicians. I didn't think there was anything bizarre about that. So <laughs> I did there medicine. There isn't, actually. No. So I did medicine, and I did residency, and I do rehab medicine. I deal with a lot of physical disability issues and um, sports injuries, that kind of stuff, which does actually translate to injuries musicians get. So, Carpal tunnel, yes. tendonitis, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, so it, it's, it actually, it's actually worked out to be like well-rounded at the end. I didn't know it would be, but it did. Wow. So we fast forward a couple of years, and let's talk about Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. When did you join the orchestra, and how did that happen? Um, I joined the orchestra after I finished my residency. I was looking for an orchestra, and one day I was walking down the street, and I saw these musicians walking into, um, at the time, at St. Anne's with all these instruments. So I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I just followed the bass player, (laughs) and I was asking, what is this, blah, blah, blah. He said, Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra, and I sat there. It was a summer reading session, so I went to get my instrument, came back, and we read. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was nice. And then I said, oh, this is a really nice group of people. I like this. <laughs> so I came back in September, and the first concert I played, they were playing the Miraculous Mandolin Whoa. by, by uh, Bartok. That was, and I, I was, yeah, I was like, whoa. Okay. What a handful. So, okay, we remember that last season, 2015-16, there was a, a little bit of an emergency in the Brahms double concerto where where you had to step in and you did a fantastic job. Tell us about that. Oh, the Brahms. So the Brahms Double Concerto is a piece I actually just love. I had learned it to read with the orchestra with our principal violinist, Hannah. And so we'd actually read it together twice, just for fun, nothing performance level. So when the opportunity came up to be a substitute soloist or, um, and to perform, I was elated. I was also very uh, stressed. It was a lot to actually learn in a very short period of time. Well, you obviously and evidently did a fantastic it job. It paid off your, your hard work. And so much so that the orchestra was so happy, myself included, that then you were invited to play now the Shostakovich Cello Concerto. Yes. Have you played it before? I studied it in college, the first movement, with my teacher. But I never performed it, no. Uh, I've always wanted to, and That's wonderful. I'm excited so. to do it. So tell us a little bit about Shostakovich and this piece in particular. What do we know or should we know so that we have a more informed experience? Well, Shostakovich didn't write that many concerti. So, so cellists are very, very lucky to have, actually we have two, but to have this concerto. 
One of his closest friends was Rostropovich. World-famous cellist. World-famous cellist. Mitislav with, Rostropovich. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so Rostropovich actually wanted to ask Shostakovich for a cello concerto. And Shostakovich's wife said, well, if you want him to write you a concerto, you need to just not mention anything at all at any point in time. Um, because if you say anything, he'll definitely not do it or whatever. So Shostakovich ended up writing the cello concerto. And by the time this concerto came around, Stalin, who was the major oppressor of artists in, you know, in, Soviet. The, in Soviet Union at the time, died about five years prior to this concerto being written. But the current climate was still not open in terms of what artists Open could and criticism. could not do. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of suffering. Shostakovich used to actually not sleep with his family and sleep outside, like in, in the hallway, so that if he, they came for him, that he would not disturb his family. They had actually taken his sister and her husband at one point. So, you know, the kind of life that he was living wasn't free for artists. So one of the quotes that Shostakovich was known to often say to his wife is to enjoy this day-to-day that you're given or something along those lines. So he was constantly facing death through, you know, his colleagues, friends, and particularly in the artist's world. So, you know, death, concept of death is definitely ingrained in at least the first three movements of this piece. The, the last movement actually quotes Stalin's favorite Bavarian folk song, which is called Suliko, which is um da 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 di da 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 um and he quotes it in actually in the strings in a very militaresque style. So you know the question now is he, you know, poking fun or I think, you know, he's expressing, he's definitely expressing something, choosing that specific melody and orchestrating it in that specific way. And at the very end of that piece, the cello and the woodwinds keep actually going over that movement at a very high pitch, very fast pace, almost like screaming you know, overcoming whatever is going on, and then there's an abrupt finish. So, you know, you have this concept of a, a very somber color, particularly the second and third movement, and then as the fourth movement, you know, develops, at the very end, it opens up. Mm. But he's still using that same figure over and over and over again, but with a triumphant march. Very, very interesting. Nice. So please tell us any final comment you would like to add. So in this concerto, he uses his DSCH, which is an acronym or a musical um, signature. signature for for him, which he uses that figure throughout the entire piece with different colors. Mm. And Can you explain about DSCH? Um, so DSCH stands for D, which is the first initial of his first name, Dimitri, and SCH, which are the first three initials of his last name. Shostakovich. Shostakovich. Okay. Um, he uses it a lot throughout his music, um, particularly around this period. As in each letter represents a, a musical note. note. Yes. D is D. D. And S, S is... E flat. Yeah, E flat. From German nomenclature. Yes, from the German nomenclature. And then C... S and, and then, H and, and H is the B. 
the B in mm-hmm. in German as well. Yes. So that's very clever, similar to what Bach did many yes. years prior. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for telling us about the Shostakovich Cello Concerto in which you will be soloing in our next concert of the BSO. We look forward to listen to you. Thank you so much. So please tell us any final comment you would like to add. I would like to add that I am extremely grateful to be part of such a wonderful orchestra for so many years. I have, I am f- always amazed at what we accomplish. It is one of the greatest pleasures of my, you know, life to be part of this group. And I am forever grateful to have the opportunity to play this piece with my orchestra and the orchestra I identify with for so long. And with your colleagues. Yes. Supporting you. My people, my colleagues. Well, you are doing a wonderful job. Every rehearsal has been, has ended in in applause because you're doing that well. So we look forward to the performance. Thank you very much, Cynthia, for being here today and see you at the concert. Thank you, Felipe. We have Dana Villarreal in the studio, the producer of this very podcast. We got lucky because normally we don't get to hear her voice, but today we'll get to ask her several questions. Welcome, Dana. Thanks, Felipe. I would say thanks for having me, but I'm here for every episode, so (laughs) it's a new experience for me to be the side of the microphone. How does it feel? I feel really awkward. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, well, now you taste... I'll get over it. <laughs> <laughs> now you taste what it is like. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. So, Dana, you are a violinist in the BSO for how many years? I think I joined in 2007. So, I think I'm... Oh, rap- so this will be your, your 10th. I think, well, I think, yeah, so in September, we'll the next your... season will be my 10th, I think. So I think wow. I'm wrapping up my ninth season. That's wonderful. Congrats. Yeah. So let's back up a little bit. Uh, tell us about when did you first start in music? Was it violin or how, how when did music come in your life? Um, so growing up, my mom played the piano and she also sang, and so we always had that musical element. And then when I was about eight, I think it was eight, my sister and I, so I have a twin sister. Oh, wow. Yeah, and my mom wanted to start us on an instrument, and so we decided that I was going to start on the violin, and she was going to start on the piano. And then after six months, we were going to switch and then decide who likes what instrument better. To, to stay on that permanently. Yeah, to say like, oh, do I like the violin better or do I like the piano, the piano. better? Uh-huh. But I started on the violin and then I just took off on it. So we never did the switch. Nice. So <laughs> Thank God. So otherwise we probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. I'd be <laughs> who knows? on the piano somewhere maybe. <laughs> the piano. Yes. So and did your sister try the violin? No. She she kept with the piano for a little bit, but 
Yeah. I don't think it really ended up being her thing. She tried the cello at one point, but she moved on to to something else. To you know other hobbies. Yeah. And I s- stuck with the violin and. Wow, and so I mean, clearly it paid off. You you became <laughs> quite quite good, and so now you play with the BSO. But what happened in between? Tell us about the entire journey. So, as I mentioned, I started when I was eight. And I remember hearing at the time with my teacher, oh, you're starting so late. You're so, like, so old. And I'm like, whatever. Eight. <laughs> oh, my God. But, you know, a lot of people, like, in this beginning, they think you, know, you, have, to start you have to start when you're, like, three, three or four. So, right. you know, I lasted probably maybe a couple classes in the group violin. I was like, ugh. And I started with private lessons. Private lessons. Yeah. And I grew up in Philadelphia, so they have... Uh, program there through Temple University called Temple Music Prep. So it's sort of like Philadelphia's version of Juilliard pre-college or something like that, but I see, not I see. quite as fancy. <laughs> so for, for children that, you know, are starting and, and want to be exposed to top-notch faculty. Yes. Yeah, we had a lot of great faculty. And so it really took over my Saturdays when I was little. I would go and have my violin lesson in the morning And then I would have theory class, and then I would have my string orchestra, and then I would have quartet rehearsal. Wow! So an entire it was it was a lot, and it was it was wow. it was yeah. fun. And this was for many years. Yeah, I was in that program probably until I want to say I was in eighth or ninth grade. Mm-hmm. In my teenage years, I stopped playing for probably two years. I think I just became an angsty teenager and didn't want to play anymore. <laughs> But then after a couple of years, I was like, who am I kidding? And I joined again. I see. And then I've been playing ever since. I took lessons in college when I went to NYU. And then you know, I played in the orchestras at NYU. And then when I graduated and got a job in my field, I still wanted to continue playing, uh-huh. but just for fun. Yeah. And I spent a couple seasons with a different community orchestra in Brooklyn, but I was considering maybe changing, but it wasn't like high on my list of things to do. Changing instrument? No, changing orchestras. Oh, changing orchestras. Yeah, because it was just not in a convenient location for me. Oh. And it was probably the summer of 2007 that I was at Atlantic Antic, which is a big street fair in Brooklyn, all along Atlantic Avenue. And there was a a booth there for the Brooklyn Symphony Orchestra. Really? And I think that was the only season they did that, or maybe the last season, because I haven't seen, I go to Atlantic Antic every year and I haven't seen us having a booth there. Maybe I caught the last one. Wow. I'll have to ask some board members, but... So I saw the booth and started asking them a bunch of questions, met some of the members that were manning the booth. I don't remember who it was. And so I went to one of their concerts and then joined. And that was back when we were at our previous location at St. Anne's Church in Brooklyn Heights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you mentioned in your field a minute ago, what's that field? I work in an audio post-production studio which is where we are right now recording this podcast. (laughs) So you went to NYU for music production? Yeah, so I have a degree in music technology, 
And that came about really because I was interested in being in some sort of musical creative field, but I wasn't really convinced that I wanted to actually be a performer. Go the performance route. Yeah. Yeah, So Mm -hmm. I didn't really want to be like on stage and have nervousness and just all that competition. So I was like, wanted to be involved, but more in the background. And I liked, you know, I like the technical aspect. So a true production spirit. Yeah. And along with my mom playing piano and singing, her career was as an animator. And so I grew up seeing her drawings come to life. And so I used to, every once in a while growing up, go to the animation studios where she'd work and see that whole production and post-production process. And so it was just so fascinating. And then one time in high school, I sat in on a record session where they were recording the voices that they were going to animate to. And it was just so, seemed so fun and so interesting. And so I sort of veered in that direction. In that direction of of producing. Uh, Obviously, how interesting. It it paid off both the musical part and the producing part that now you become the professional you are. So (laughs) I think we need more persons like you that while they have their career and they're successful in their field, they are also proactive in music. I always think everyone should have some sort of musical background or any sort of creative hobby. I think it's an artistic outlet. An outlet, yeah. Put outside It's just meditative. And I think you get so much joy, extra joy out of your life having that outlet. And so talking about uh, about joy, what would be a memorable performance uh, with the orchestra, with the BSO that you can think of? Well, I came prepared because I know that you Actually, always ask this question. <laughs> yes. It could be a memorable performance, not necessarily a joyful one. It could be a special one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, all the memorable ones were joyful ones, ones that okay. I thought actually went well <laughs> and, that, and that I actually liked. So I'm just going to grab my list. So I That's re- a little bit of cheating, I have to say. But go well, ahead. as the producer, I am allowed to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed when we played Chostakovich 5. Uh, oh, yes, I'm sure. It was so it's... beautiful. That was many years ago. Sibelius 2 that we did last year, All big I pieces. really liked. Wow. And then any concerto that we do that involves a violin. Of course. Um, <laughs> last year, we did Brahms Double Concerto, which Cynthia, with Cynthia who we just spoke herself. with, jumped in last minute. And played with us. She told us that story. Yeah. And I also really liked this concert we did. And I think the theme was called Out of This World. And we played Holst, the planets. Nice. And then we played some John Williams movie music. We played E.T., and I love the movie E.T., so it was so fun. It's, it's It was so fun music. to play that. And we played Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Huh. So that one was really that one was really fun, too. <laughs> so, wow. I, I'm happy to hear yeah. that you have more than one memorable performance. Yeah. And we've played a couple Gershwin pieces recently, and I think those are just such fun, like, Americana-type right. music with right. that little bit of jazz elements to it, which I think is fun. And even Latin, fun. the Cuban Overture the Cuban that was Overture, programmed yeah. last season of Gershwin. Yeah. That's wonderful. And so I have to ask this question, my favorite question. If you were to choose a different instrument or discipline in the arts other than the violin, what would that be? 
So you would be happy to know、uh-huh. that I would choose the flute. Yes, <laughs> finally. <laughs> so, but I don't know if it's necessarily for honorable reasons. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> explain,、um, please. So, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a twin sister. Yeah. And then one day, I mean, maybe we were like twelve or thirteen. A neighbor of ours. Brought her flute over, and she put it together, and so she showed both of us, you know, how to hold the flute, and so we both tried it out, and so I held it, and I could not get a sound to come out, <laughs> and then my sister tried it. It is hard, yeah. My sister tried it, and she got a sound to come out. Wow! And I was like, my insides were burning up because I always <laughs> like to be better at things than other people. Competitive sister. <laughs> So I've always remembered that she was able to make the sound in the flute, and I wasn't. So wow. Well, I'm happy to give you a lesson <laughs> any time. Yeah. So that's always been, I guess, an instrument that I've secretly pined for because the first time I tried it, didn't literally nothing came out. <laughs>、uh, <laughs> for our listeners that are not part of an ensemble but do play an instrument, what would you tell them, or how would you? Invite them to join the orchestra, and why? I just love being in a community orchestra. You know, I think any professional can easily get stuck in their day to day, nine to five job, being with lovely people, but all within the same industry. So I'll know producers or mixers or voiceover artists, but all within this small. Community of people, and so one of the things I love about being involved in a community orchestra is meeting people that have nothing to do with my field. So you know, teachers or people in finance or since、uh, he's a doctor and all all sorts of people. So、right. I I love connect with other connecting with other people and hearing their stories and meeting people from just so many different backgrounds. You know, it's meditative. You you have your crazy day at work, but then you go to rehearsal, disconnect, disconnect play music with people who are there just because they want to be the there. For the love of music. Yeah, because there's no money in it. You're just donating your time because you want to play. The pure joy. Yeah. Dana, it has been a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you so much. Yeah, it's fun, and this is our last podcast of the season. Yay, season 2016-17. Yeah. Thank you very much for your work as a producer, and thank you very much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Please visit BrooklynSymphonyOrchestra.org for more episodes of this podcast and to purchase tickets for our upcoming concert on June 4th at the Brooklyn Museum. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm Felipe Tristan. Thank you for listening.